today we continue our series, uh, Journey with Jesus. Uh, we are finishing up uh, Mark chapter 2 and going into Mark chapter 3. We've been talking about a series of five conflicts. The first one in Mark chapter 2, they were conflicted because Jesus could forgive sin. They didn't understand that. And then the second conflict, Jesus ate with sinners. They didn't understand that either, why he could do that and be ceremonially unclean. Thirdly, fasting. They didn't understand why they were feasting and doing all those things and not fasting. And these last two are centered around the Sabbath. The fact that the disciples were walking along and picking grain and eating grain on the Sabbath day. And then, of course, in John, or Mark chapter 3, we see the healing that Jesus performed on the Sabbath. The Pharisees had problems with all five of these. And before we get too hard on the Pharisees, we probably need to look in the mirror. Because when I look in the mirror of God's word, I still see legalism in my own heart. And I have a guess that each of us has some Phariseeism in us, some legalism in us that God wants to root out. Let's look at this text in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. There were two bank robbers in Sangus, Massachusetts. They walked into a small delicatessen. They pulled out their guns, and they demanded all the money in the cash register. The owner stashed all the money in a brown bag, and he laid it on the counter. Nervously, they grabbed the bag and fled. Later, in a safe place, these two robbers opened the brown paper bag and dumped out the spoils to share. They were completely surprised, however. The bag contained two pastrami sandwiches and a slice of baklava. They couldn't believe it. In their nervous haste, they picked up the wrong bag. 
in the area of legalism and grace, it is always easy to pick up the wrong bag. Legalism's bag has written on it, do. Legalism has a long list of deeds to do to be saved. It offers spiritual sandwiches that are low in nutrients. Pastor and author Max Licato gives a similar assessment of legalism. And here's what he says, and listen closely to this. A legalist believes the supreme force behind salvation is you. If you look right, speak right, and belong to the right segment of the right group, you will be saved. The brunt of responsibility doesn't lie within God. It lies within you. What is the result of that? Well, the outside sparkles. The talk is good. The step is true. But look closely and listen carefully. Something is missing. What is it? Joy. What's there? Fear that you won't do enough or arrogance that you have done enough. Failure that you have made a mistake. He goes on to say that legalism is slow torture, suffocation of the spirit, amputation of one's dreams. Legalism is just enough religion to keep you, but not enough to nourish you. Did you catch that? Legalism is just enough religion to keep you, but not enough to nourish you. So you starve. Your teachers don't know where to go for food, so you starve together. Your diet is rules and standards. No vitamins, no zest, just bland, predictable religion. In contrast to legalism stands grace. The bag of grace has written on it the word of faith. That we operate by faith under grace. It's not all the rules and codes and rituals that we do. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And yet on the counter of life, there are two bags. There is a bag marked legalism and a bag marked grace. Which bag is yours? Which one do we grab for more quickly? Legalism or grace? All religion apart from grace is worthless legalism. I share that with us because this passage is all about legalism more than about the Sabbath. It was more about rule keeping and regulations and rituals than it was a relationship with God. The Pharisees for sure were committed to God because on the Sabbath, if you worked on the Sabbath day, it tells us in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, 15, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. That's serious. And so, yes, the Pharisees were serious about doing no work. And so what do they see Jesus' disciples doing? They're going through the grain fields, picking grain, they're reaping a harvest, they're cleaning it, they're eating it, that's work. So you are working on the Sabbath, you are breaking the Sabbath. Jesus, what are you going to do about it? Let me uh, share with you a little bit about the Sabbath in relationship to Jewish culture, in Judaism. 
In Jewish tradition, the Sabbath was believed to be a gift of God's treasury. It was exalted and elevated. It was a day to be held to be the foundation and epitome of Jewish faith. Friday, Sabbath begins on Friday at sundown and goes till Saturday at sundown. So jobs would be done early on Friday. They would come home early. They would get out the best dishes. They would clean up the kids. The kids would be well-dressed. The mother of the house or the lady of the house would light two candles. Those two candles were lit. One was to remember the Sabbath, and the other one was to keep the Sabbath. And so they took it very seriously. They lit those Sabbath candles. Why? Because they could not have electric lights on. You couldn't turn those on because that was work. And so they tried to come within these rules. They had all these rules. And then they would have a, a meal together. They would go to church and worship the Lord at Shabbat, a Shabbat service, a Sabbath service. They had three of them. They had one on Friday night and two on Saturday. Saturday morning, they were up again early by 8.30 at the synagogue, worshiping the Lord. The service, listen to this, the service lasted for three hours. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> three hours they read the Torah they did prayers they worshiped the Lord together there was also at home two loaves of bread on the table those two loaves represented the manna that God supplied from heaven when the Israelites were in the wilderness and God supplied manna and why were there two loaves because he told them to gather up a double portion the day before the Sabbath, they were not allowed to gather bread on the Sabbath because that was work. And God told them to gather it the day before. So these were things that happened. So in light of all of that history and tradition, the Pharisees see this as breaking the law of God. And they take it very seriously. So before we get too hard on them, we realize where they're coming from, maybe, that they should not be involved in work. The Pharisees believed they were commanded to keep the Sabbath day holy. The problem, however, was they developed more rules for keeping the Sabbath than any other commandment. They developed all these extra rules. Here's what we need to keep in mind, and here's the principle I believe God would have us keep in mind that he's trying to teach us in Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3. One of them is this, that the needs of people are more important than detailed policies or restrictions. The needs of people. We can see this here in Pharisee and first century Jewish culture, they developed 39 additional prohibitions for the Sabbath day. Jesus told, or God said, don't work on the Sabbath. Take time to rest and be refreshed. And also you are to remember on the Sabbath day that I was the one who delivered you out of Egyptian bondage. You got the bread on the table to remind you I was the one who redeemed you. That's what you are to focus on and think about and be a part of. But they come up with all these extra rules. 
39 general categories of work that were prohibited on the Sabbath, such as plowing, sowing, reaping, baking, threshing, sheep shearing, weaving, sifting, grinding operations, tying a knot, untying a knot, sowing, extinguishing a fire, kindling a fire, writing, erasing, building. They could not travel more than 2,000 cubits on the Sabbath day because if they did, it was work. If they walked more, which is a little over half a mile, they could not travel more than a half a mile from home. Some of you would be in trouble. The Mount of Olives was within the limits of a Sabbath day journey. You could not carry a load on the Sabbath day, including a house key or even a piece of paper. That's how legalistic the Pharisees were and had become. The only work that was allowed on the Sabbath day was circumcision. And the reason circumcision was allowed is because it was supposed to be done on the eighth day. And if it happened to fall on the Sabbath, it should be done because that's how you identify with God's covenant people. The sign of circumcision was God's covenant sign to be his people. However, the Sabbath God instituted was to be a blessing, not bondage. It is not bondage. It's to be a blessing in our lives. And so meeting the needs of people is more important than keeping the rules of the Sabbath. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that you go out and there's a pond out here, and it has a sign posted, no swimming. No swimming. And yet this little boy goes by, and it's a hot day, and he's like, hey, you know what? I need to jump in and cool off, and he jumps in to cool off, and in the midst of that, he begins to drown. But you are walking close by and are a good swimmer, and you see and hear the screams of the boy who is drowning, but you also see the rule, no swimming. What are you going to do? Are you going to break the rule and save the little boy's life or say, you know what, I'm sorry, that's a consequence of disobeying the law. You're going to have to drown, pay the price, go to heaven early. Whatever. No. You break man's law to obey God's law, which is to save life. And so here, that's what happened. The Pharisees were so consumed with laws and rules and regulations, it was strangling them from worshiping God and really being God's people and the idea of grace that is there. So what does Jesus say to them? They say to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You have told us this stuff is unlawful. Well, they added all these extra prohibitions, remember. They added man's law to God's law. So here's what Jesus responds back in verse 25. He says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Jesus is saying, you haven't read this in the law, the books of the Torah, the books that you read every Sabbath? Of course you have. He's saying, of course you've read it. Haven't you read that? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. Only the priest was allowed to eat the bread of the presence, the consecrated bread, which was 12 loaves spread over in the temple. They would have 12 loaves of bread, and it was called the bread of presence, and they each represented the 12 tribes of Israel. But it was the presence of God 
the bread represented the presence of God. And he's saying, haven't you read that? And that's when he tells them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. He's saying they ate that bread, they broke the law, but they were hungry, and King David is one of my anointed. Should we not meet the needs of those people? So God doesn't condemn him. He uses his word to challenge them to say, I am the rule of the Sabbath. I am the interpreter of the law. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I instituted the day of the Sabbath. I am the one you are to worship, not these rules. It was a powerful statement that he made. What is the significance of the bread of the presence that Jesus points to? The bread of the presence pointed to Jesus. That's what he's trying to get the Pharisees to see. It pointed to Jesus. According to a Jewish historian, Edersheim, Ancient symbolism, both Jewish and Christian, regarded the bread of the presence as the emblem of the Messiah. Jesus said in John 6, 41, I am the bread that came down from heaven. The 12 loaves of bread, symbolically representing the 12 tribes of Israel, before the presence of the Lord Jesus as our high priest, represents God's holy people before the presence of God in heaven. He says, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. I am the one you are to be consumed with, not the rules and regulations. And they said, sir, from now on, give us this bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You see, the eating of the bread of the presence by the priest was symbolic of partaking of the word of God in the presence of God. When we gather on the Lord's Day, we don't gather on the Sabbath, by the way. That's Saturday. That's the Jewish. When you get to the New Testament, you see the first day of the week becomes paramount and kind of replaces for the Christian the Sabbath. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it says the first day of the week they took the collection to gather In Acts chapter 20, you see it was the first day of the week where they broke bread together and came together in community. And there's other passages as well. Mary, when she went to the tomb, it was the first day of the week. That becomes the Lord's Day for the believer. But the Lord's Day, the Sabbath day, is to be a blessing and not bondage. Secondly, acts of service are more God-honoring than man-made rules and regulations. We get into the next story. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Here's a man with a shriveled hand. It is not a congenital disease. He did not have it from birth. Somehow he contracted this diseased hand which is inhibiting his work. Some people believe that maybe perhaps he worked with his hands as some type of carpenter or something. And so it's hindering him from doing his work. But it's not life-threatening. And the only time you were to work is if it was life-threatening. So here again, Jesus is challenging the rules and the regulations 
of the Pharisees and telling them that grace takes precedence over legalism. Doing good on the Sabbath day takes precedence over rules of abuse. You see, the bread of presence was only for the priest. It was not to be abused. But because David and his companions were hungry, he said they weren't abusing it. And so many times, those rules that God has put in place is that we don't abuse what God has given to us. Remember, even in the Old Testament, every seven years, the land was supposed to rest. On the seventh year, it was supposed to be a Sabbath to the Lord. They weren't to plant crops. They weren't to harvest crops. Every seventh year was to be a Sabbath of rest for the land. Sabbath is so important, and God gave that to them to do. So doing good on the Sabbath takes precedence over rules of abuse. What does Jesus say to them? They're looking for a reason to accuse him. So they watch him closely to see if he would heal, if he would do a good act on the Sabbath. And Jesus says to the man with his shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. He wants everyone to see this. He's not putting it in a corner. He's not trying to hide it. He's like, I'm going to put God on display here for a moment. Stand up in front of everyone. Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? You have all these laws. You have all these rules and regulations to do good or evil, to save life or kill. They couldn't even respond to it. They didn't know what to say. They were speechless. We also see the same thing in Luke chapter 13 and 14. Jesus heals a couple other people in Luke 13 and 14 on the Sabbath day. He heals. Here, Jesus only speaks the word. He tells him, stretch out your hand. And he stretches it out, and his hand was completely healed, completely healed, restored on the Sabbath day. They couldn't believe it. What acts of service should we be doing for the Lord on the Lord's day? Well, you need to pray and ask God what he would have you do. What are those acts that he would have you do? Whatever they are, there should be regular, regular acts of service for the Lord on the Lord's day. Perhaps maybe one that you could even institute would be we have an 8.30 prayer meeting on Sunday morning. There's very few people that come to that prayer meeting. But maybe this would be an act of service that you could give to the Lord to come and pray. Maybe you only come once a month or twice a month. Don't do it as a rule or regulation. Do it as a relationship saying, God, I want you to be involved in the worship service of Bethesda Church. I want you to be glorified. I want you to be magnified. Maybe you even come in here early into the sanctuary and say, God, I want your presence to be here. We don't want to be a legalistic church. We want to be a church filled with grace. We need to pray for that. Pray for your pastor to be a pastor who is filled with grace and not legalism. Legalism kills, it chokes the Spirit of God from working in our lives. It should be frequent and habitual in our lives. It should be even second nature to us, these acts of service. When we go over to Luke chapter 14, let me just go over there for a minute. Jesus asked the Pharisees a question. 
In chapter 14, verse 3, he says, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? He's saying, are you going to let the rule and regulation that you have established as a man-made prohibitive law to keep you from doing good just because it's the Sabbath day, the Lord's day? He's saying, that's ridiculous. He's saying acts of service and acts of mercy are what God's people should be doing every day. Because every day is a blessing from God. The Sabbath especially is a blessing from God. And therefore, as a blessing from God, we should be involved in acts of mercy. Reaching out to people. Someone's car breaks down on Sunday afternoon. Oh, I can't fix it. It's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. We can't fix that. That's work. Well, if they got to be to work on Monday, it needs to be fixed on Sunday afternoon. It's okay, it's an act of mercy to carry out our responsibilities. We have to be careful and not get hung up on legalism. Grace takes precedence over legalism. By us remembering the Lord's Day, it's not the day that is the most important thing, it's our commitment to God. Our commitment to God should be every day But you know what? In our culture, there's a day set aside, a time, a place, a day for God's people to gather, to worship, and that should take precedence over everything else in our culture. Over everything else. Because he says what? The greatest commandment is to love God and love others. If that is true... We love God by giving him the first priority of our life. And the gathering of God's people, to be with God's people, to worship in community and fellowship should take precedence over everything else of that day. It's so important. See, we've done the opposite because back when I was a kid, they had the blue law. The blue law was all, every store had, all the stores had to be closed. You couldn't buy gas, you couldn't buy... <laughs> groceries you had to get it on saturday but today we've gone so far the other way and now there are so many things on the lord's day that compete for god's people to worship him and you know what it's just a test of our allegiance to the lord that's what it is it's a test of allegiance to say is god first or is something else trump god The Pharisees had all these laws. They wanted to trump their relationship with God with all these laws. God's saying, no, I am the Sabbath. You find rest in me. You find rest in me. Commitment to God. Celebration in worship. Community and fellowship. We delight in the goodness of God. See, God told the Israelites For the Sabbath, when they gathered to remember the Sabbath day, one of the ways they remembered the Sabbath day, he's saying, remember when I called you out of Egyptian bondage. That is the greatest story, I believe, in the Old Testament to remind us of the redemption of God's people. Remember when we were in bondage. 
and God delivered us from our sin, we should think often about that, especially on the Lord's Day and what God has done in our lives. Because of the truth of the matter is, there are people this morning at 11.05 who are sitting in their house who are overcoming a drunken stupor from the night before and God is the furthest thing from their mind. Or they're strung out on drugs and they have no concept of God or anything else. And we need to be a witness and testimony to say God has changed our lives so much that we are here and want to be filled with the Spirit of God to reach out to that person who is in that drunken state, that person who is strung out on drugs so they will come to know the grace of God. They will not do it through legalism. They will not do it through rules and regulations. They will do it through our relationship with God and then our love for others is so great because we want him to be great in their life. And here's the final one that we see. The authority of God is more important than man's authority. So many times we think we have so much authority. The Pharisees thought they had so much authority. And what does Jesus tell them? In verse 28, I like how John MacArthur says it, Jesus dropped the bomb of all bombs on their self-righteous minds. In chapter 2, verse 28, he says, The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Notice what he's saying. He said, when I forgave sin of that paralytic man in Mark chapter 2, I'm telling you, I am God. I'm the Lord. When Jesus ate with sinners, he's saying, I'm telling you, I'm the Messiah. I am the Lord. When it came to fasting and they were feasting, Jesus says, I am the Lord. I'm Messiah. Here we have two incidents. They're eating grain on the Sabbath. Jesus says, I am the Lord. He heals a man in the synagogue on the Sabbath. I am the Lord. He says, I am. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, I am the sovereign ruler over the Sabbath. I am the sovereign of this day. I designed this day. I am the creator. Doesn't John say at the beginning of his gospel, everything was made by him and without him was not anything made. So it was he who ceased to work. It was he who rested. It was he who ordained this day to be blessed and separate from work. I am the sovereign of this day. I am the interpreter of the will of God for this day. You do not rule the Sabbath. You do not set the standards of behavior for the Sabbath. I do. I interpret, he said, God's will, Jesus says, in God's word. Yes, Jesus is the interpreter of God's will. He is the interpreter of God's word, and he is the interpreter of God's law, not man. He dropped the bombshell of all bombshells, that he is the one. And what does he tell us in Matthew chapter 11? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest. What were, they, what were his people burdened with? All these man-made rules and regulations. And God says, 
I'll take that burden off of you. All you have to do is love me and relate to me, obey me, honor me. That's what God's telling them. If you will do that, God is the one. Here's what he told his people in Isaiah 58. He says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And what has God provided for us? He's provided for us the Lord's day. In the Lord's day is a wonderful day of rest. He gives us six days to work. He gives us a day to set aside. I don't know about you, but I love the Lord's day. I love it. I love getting in my recliner on Sunday afternoon, kicking that thing back and looking up to heaven until my eyes close, taking a little nap and resting and relaxing. God, that is a gift from the Lord. We should not abuse that gift. We should use it in a way to honor him. We get physical refreshment. Our bodies and brains need rest. It's also good for our spiritual well-being to have that. We reflect on God's goodness and all that he has provided for us through the Lord's Day, our Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. I would just ask you in the quietness of this moment, which bag do you tend to grab? Is it the bag of legalism? Or is it the bag of grace? Which one do you want God to show toward you? All his rules and regulations? Or his grace? The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us in John 1. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We do not sacrifice truth for grace. But we also have to be careful that we don't institute legalism over grace. God is the judge. He is the one who will set the record straight. How can Bethesda Church be more of a church of grace? Recognizing the brokenness of man, the fallenness of man, Every one of us deserve God's eternal wrath and judgment. Every one of us deserves his eternal wrath and judgment. But God, in his grace, saved us. If we turn to him, he saved us. 
If you want a relationship with your children, you will not have a good relationship with them if it's all about rules. Yeah, they need to have boundaries. I had boundaries growing up, and I'm thankful for them, and they were needed, and discipline. But if it's only rules and discipline apart from love and relationship and grace, you will lose your kids. We will also, as a church, lose our ministry to the culture if it's all about legalism. And it is something that infects all of us. We all have that tendency, and I think the longer we walk in the faith, it can actually become easier because there's something about legalism that's comfortable because we have a set way we're going to do things. But where is grace in that? Where is the leading of the Holy Spirit in that? See, when you live under grace, life becomes more messy because everything's not all cut and dried. We have to rely on the Spirit of God. We have to pray. We have to seek the Lord. We have to say, God, what is it you want us to do at this particular point in time as a church? It is vital. God, help us to be a people of grace. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood as a great act of grace for your brokenness, for my brokenness, to pay for our sin, that we could be forgiven and cleansed. You will not be right with God by cleaning up your own act. You come with all your dirt, your, all, all your filth, all your uncleanness, all your brokenness, and God says, I will clean you up. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a whole heart. You come as you are. That's a beautiful part of grace. If you have questions, if we can pray with you, we would love for you to share with you how you can have a personal relationship with God. See me after the service. For many of us, it's just a matter of evaluating our life to say, are we going to be controlled by grace? Driven by grace. you've enjoyed today's message if you'd like to know more about Bethesda Church you can check us out on the web by going to our website which is BethesdaMB.org that's Bethesda M as in Mary B as in boy dot org or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron have a blessed day